Now, let's turn and, in conclusion, ask the question, what do we learn from laments? And here I want to draw you in. I've done enough speaking for a while. You've looked at two laments. We look very briefly at the Book of Lamentations as a lament. What do you learn from all of this as you think about life's loss? What are some things that you can learn from these psalms as you face the kinds of experiences that David the psalmist faced? Yes. Okay, God is there even when we don't feel. Very, very important. <laughs> very important. God is there. Or can, how did you frame it? God, but you, you were saying that God is can handle our negative uh, feelings. I grew up, and I think a lot of people did, uh, feeling there's something wrong if we complain to God, if we have it out with God. These Psalms give us permission to have it out with God. Why? Because Jesus himself did, as he was hanging on the cross. It really gives us permission to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's okay. God understands it because his son went through it. What else you learned? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. But it was what you were feeling at that moment. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think the other thing that probably happened, you know, you said the air went out of the room, but the air probably went out of the room because every one of them sitting there had also wanted to say that publicly at some point and felt they couldn't. <laughs> I am a worm and not a woman. <laughs> All right, what else? What else did you learn? Jim? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, good, good. Millie? Mm -hmm. It's very interesting when you look at other religions. There are some religions that have notions of incarnations but nothing that matches the fully God, fully human notion. The incarnations are half-breeds. <laughs> um, and and, and in, in various religions of the world, you have some kind of notion of incarnation, but, but at least in my awareness and my brief reading I've done of other religions, I've never seen anything quite like that matches the incarnation. And in many ways, it's almost incomprehensible. You know, that, and, and I think that's one of the reasons I believe it's true, because it's incomprehensible. You know, because, it, it, I mean, I wouldn't want to follow a religion that seems predictable, that you and I could have written it, that you and I could have devised it. But, it, but, it's, but it's when you encounter this God who would enter history in the fullness that you begin to say, man, uh, humanity couldn't have come up with this on their own. Okay, what else? Here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great consolation in that, isn't there? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's helpful to remember these only, aren't the only two psalms of lament from David, <laughs> which, which makes the point that you're making, you know, we can do this a lot of times. <laughs> okay, over here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I think one of the things that often happens if, if I could just make a point here is that we we are fearful of actually coming out with the lament. And as a result, we elongate the internal lament. And, and you know, there's something very healthy about coming out with this. I mean, you know, we know, we know this when, when there's loss of a loved one and we go through, you know, the grief process and 
these stages of grief, I can't remember them right now, that Cooper Ross and others have come up with, but y you've just got to come out with it. And it's very, you know, when, when, when I hear somebody after a very difficult loss say, well, I'm holding up well, the Lord's been faithful, inside I'm thinking, yeah, and, and tell me about the moments, <laughs> you know, when it doesn't feel like that. Um, I think there, there's a sense in which we have better healing of our souls. God is able to bring greater healing to us when we can get it out front and when we can acknowledge it. Otherwise, it's kind of that unhealthy, uh, you know, keeping it inside of us and never really coming out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, is it Hebrews 4? I'm trying to think of uh, the, the text that talks about how he was tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Um, okay, let me just read this, Hebrews 4, because I think it helps us a bit. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. I take it that what that means is that Jesus experienced the temptations to jealousy, the temptations to lust, sexual lust, the temptations to perhaps even pride. After all, he could do a lot of things we couldn't do. Uh, and, you know, I, I, it's hard to know. It's, it's hard to know. But, but the fact that he experienced something of the anguish that we experience in that weakness, in that temptation, I think we simply have to say he entered in to the extent that he could fully feel the pangs of humanness but not sin. There's this long debate, was, was Jesus able to sin or able not to sin? And, you know, theologians have long debated, you know, how far did the extensiveness of it go? But I, I think the point that simply means, needs to be made, and we rest with this, is that Jesus, because he was fully human, did experience the kind of emotionality that we, we do. I think it's helpful to remember, we, we often think of certain emotions as evil. Um, and, and I think that emotions, uh, many of the emotions are really good gifts of God, but we have to understand what happens to them in their fallenness. And, and so when we, we think about, um, let's say, an emotion of revenge, wanting revenge, that is a fallen expression of our deep internal drive for justice, which is a good thing. But what happens in our fallen state is we turn justice into feelings of revenge. Um, th there is a, 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 you know, a righteous kind of anger. I mean, Jesus got angry, emotionally angry, with the money changers in the temple, the abuse of the temple. And so he feels something of outrage, but it was not a kind of anger that turned into malice towards the people. It was really an anger of, uh, you know, a holy wrath, a righteous indignation, as some put it. Now, I don't think we can ever fully comprehend that because we aren't fully God, fully man in the way he was, but there was something there where you take the human emotions that we all experience and that we all know, and he experiences that human emotion, but not to the extent that it falls into sin. 
think that's about as much as we can really say with it. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the emotions are very, very, um, how can I put this? They're, they're part of life that remain mysterious to us. And of course, as we learn more and more about the human mind, we know that our emotions are very much tied to things that trigger things in our brain. And, and I don't think we have to turn that into a reductionism at all, where we simply say we're all we are as a result of the firing of our neurons. But, but rather what we begin to understand is that uh, these, these emotions are, are very much a part of us. And in, in the Christian faith, we have this balance between acknowledging them and yet not being driven by them. Emotions should be part of life. Um, and, and uh, y- y- you know, they have, I mean, Tom mentioned, I wrote this book, Head, Heart, and Hands, Bringing Together Christian Thought, Passion, and Action. What I did in the first chapter of that is talk about three types of Christian faith that has existed historically. Those who think that faith is primarily the head, get your theology straight and everything else falls into place. Those of the heart who basically have an emotive version of faith, who think that the emotions and the feelings is everything. So as long as I feel, you know, to use Wesley's term, strangely warm by God, then, you know, everything's right, as long as I have these ecstatic inward experiences. And the third part being the action part, uh, those who've said, well, what Christianity's really about is, is proclaiming the gospel or doing service, justice, mercy, that sort of thing, action-oriented. And we, we tend, my argument was in, 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 that we tend to accentuate one of those three, either because of our backgrounds, our personalities, whatever, perhaps the version of faith that we were exposed to and were socialized in. Uh, but what we need is, because we are whole people, all of those need to feed each other. And so in that sense, our cognitive has a very important role to play, what we believe, but that doesn't negate the emotions. And as a matter of fact, what we believe, in part, for good or ill, is a reflection of what goes on internally. I mean, do you remember that Lewis has this, I can't remember which of the uh, books uh, it, it's in, in the Chronicles, but where he says, what you believe depends a lot, uh, to a great deal on where you are standing. Okay? So it's not this autonomous individual standing off here and thinking good biblical theological thoughts and they get it all straight. It, it, it depends on what you're seeing and what you're, where you're standing, where you allow yourself to stand. That's in part what will influence what we actually come to affirm and what we do. What we do affects what we think as well, by the way, for good or ill. So a righteous life actually feeds good thinking. And the same then we think about our emotions. Good emotions feed good theology and good actions, and good actions and good theology feed good emotions. Bad thinking, bad actions feed negative emotions. So the emotions play a very important part of life, and and it's really an interesting kind of psychology, I think, to look at these psalms of lament through this lens. But I think what we see is we cannot deny the emotional side, even the negative side, but we don't have to allow the emotions to drive our lives. Clyde. Well, I think in part, Clyde, the way I would respond to that, it's a very interesting question here, Uh, is it... Uh, and Clyde, you're probably like me. I'm a left brain person. I'm a person of the head. I talk about that at the beginning of my book, that partly I wrote the book because I'm so left brain, cognitive oriented. <laughs> and, uh, 
and, and it's harder for me to deal with the emotional side of life and the action side of life. But, but I have a hunch that he can only say, give that cognitive theological affirmation because he truly has, at some point, had his emotions inflamed by God. At, 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 at some point, those emotions are out of kilter, all right? And because he does have right thinking, it can interact also with some of the right feelings he has had in the past where he has sensed the nearness of God. But I don't think he can come out of it by simply having had experiences in the past where he's felt the, the, uh, the nearness of God. He's got to have the cognitive affirmation along with the emotive. It seems to me they just got to go together. And, and I don't think we can pull them apart in, my, in, in the way I see it. You may want to pick up my book, Head, Heart, and Hands. It's in varsity press. Uh, you can see a little bit more. Because what I try to do is make a biblical case for this, by the way, uh, that the three not only are important, but the three really feed each other and, and are intermeshed with each other. Uh, any others? Yes, in the back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Absolutely it does. No, I mean, I, I, as I hear you, what you're saying is we all have propensities in certain directions. I talk about that in my book, and I think that's very true. Uh, some of us are just head-oriented by personality. Some of us are heart-oriented, and some of us are just action people. We're doers. We define ourselves and get our you know, great rewards in life by doing, and others of us get our great rewards in life by thinking. And, and, and you know, we, you know we, we can talk till we're blue in the face about why that's so, but the reality is we know we all are just predisposed in one direction or the other. But it does seem to me that it is in the body of Christ that my own weaknesses in perhaps nurturing my emotional side can be strengthened by those who have strengthened that side. That's why we need the body of Christ. That's why an individualistic, lone ranger Christian faith is not true biblical faith. You know, the, the Roman Catholic tradition has this statement, and we evangelical Protestants have always, of course, reacted against it. There's no salvation outside the church. I know what they mean by that, but there's a side of me that agrees. You can't come to Jesus and say, I want Jesus, but I don't want the body. If you come to Jesus, you've got to take his body. And his body's the church filled with a lot of foibles and a lot of problems, to be sure. But there's no such thing as saying, I want to come to Jesus, but I don't want to be a part of his community and his body. Because you come to Christ, you come into the body of Christ. And, and so this whole notion that I can sustain my faith alone, you know, that's good American individualism, but it's bad biblical theology. And, and so I think your point is very well made. We do need each other. It's one of the things we learn in life. And, and uh, you know, if we're a person, for example, who is driven by emotions, and some of us, our emotions do overwhelm us at times, uh, we need the sustenance of people whose emotions are perhaps a little more on even keel. You know, and, and, and that's part of what the body of Christ and the community is all about. Yeah. Yeah, no, very, very good question. Uh, I, I think what I meant by that was simply unhealthy emotional expressions. Unhealthy emotional expressions. Or, let's even add, ungodly emotional expressions. I mean, think of the phrase, um, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Okay? Anger is part of life. It's an emotion. It's there. It's recognized. What, what is it? Ang anger is a, a kind of emotional response to perceived threat. Physical threat to our lives, emotional threat to our lives, spiritual threat. Okay? 
and, and we, we have this internal response. We, you know, we, we bristle up. Now, you know, that's because of the way God wired us, okay? because of the way God wired the neurons. We also know that's folly. And so what was a good gift of God gets twisted and turned so that we want to, instead of simply expressing the hurt and the natural response, we want to haul off on somebody. We want to chew them out, you know? Uh, we, we want to just let it all out, let all the emotion out and degrade the other person by what we say, etc. Or we want in our anger to, um, uh, we, we like to relish it. Sometimes we like to sit with it because we're seething against the person and we hold them. That's one way we hold it against them. I'm not going to forgive. I'm not going to give in. I'm just going to hold this over your head for a long time. Those are the games we play, right? In relationships. Am I right? I'm not alone, am I? Okay, okay, good. And, and so when, when Scripture says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, it means it's a natural emotion, but take care of it. Express it. Move on in life. And unhealthy would be either when you just let it all out in unhealthy ways that hurt a person terribly, or you, you simply hold it in and the anger builds and builds, and that's the old pressure cooker effect where eventually it just boils out over. That's what I meant by that, okay? One more comment, and then I'll make a couple summary comments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Good, good. And, and you know, from a theological perspective, it's interesting, at least in the, the more evangelical wing of the church, we have often not had a strong ecclesiology, which simply means theology of the church. In fact, I could pull out systematic theologies off my shelf that have no ecclesiology in them. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, that, you know, and, and, and part of it, uh, and most of them were written in the U.S., by the way. <laughs> most of them are American theologies that probably reflect more of our culture than true biblical faith. But but I think, in a sense, we're the inheritors of that tradition to some degree, where we say church doesn't matter. Church is simply institution. It's a lot of baggage. And of course, to the whole institutional thing, I want a church but not an institution. As soon as you gather two or three people together, you got an institution. So just take a sociology 101. I'll look that one for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, of course, we need to work very hard in the church to make the church a place where people can lament and find hope in the midst of the lament. Well, let me, I had a few things up here, on what, and I think most of these you've, you've hit on. I'm just going to kind of list them. Loss is part of life. We've already talked about that. Uh, there's a realism to the Christian life. I think, um, you know, in contrast to the optimism of modernist enlightenment thought or in contrast to the pessimism of what is sometimes dubbed postmodern thought, um, what you find is a realism here in the Psalms of Lament. Uh, neither, modernity, no, neither, neither modernity nor postmodernity, it seems to me, gets it right. There's a realism about what we experience. It's okay to have it out with God. You've, you've already hit on that. Uh, ultimate triumph doesn't come on our timetable. That's very important. Uh, you know, we have a streak of triumphalism in us that can become very, very ugly, socially ugly in terms of politics and all kinds of things, uh, but personally ugly as well. Uh, the ultimate triumph is there. It's not our ultimate triumph, by the way. It's God's in and through us. It doesn't come on our timetable. 
Uh, lament is part of the healing process. I think we've already hit on that. Uh, faith is not based on feelings, and loss doesn't mean God's absence, particularly if you understand that the source of our faith lies outside of me. God bless you.